Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. Uh, welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. I'm being joined by the author of the book, Metamorphosis, The Proposed Path of Independent Living, Mr. Aston E. Roberts. How's it going, sir? I'm fine. Thank you. Well, it is a difficult thing to write a book, but this one here is what, number seventh in your bibliography? Uh, well, uh, actually, it will be seven. I'm working on my seventh one now. That that's so great. So so tell me about it. What makes this book here so special? What made you decide to write this one? Well, uh, the first thing I guess I would say is it's uh, it's a new approach to the common trope called metaphor. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm applying metaphor not just to literature but to uh, quantum mechanics and to the fact that everything that we know or see or even say is a metaphor. It's based on my knowledge of the way the brain works. Uh, the brain uh, records a cell and uh, of any object, and it exists um, by itself until the comparison business takes hold, and the brain finds another cell with the same sort of concept, and it blends the two. It's the uh, it's the notion of everything being based on comparison. Uh, a typical metaphor says, well, the road was a ribbon of moonlight is a well-known metaphor. And it says the road is a ribbon and it's a ribbon of moonlight. So that we're taking what is a ribbon and comparing it to a road and all our thinking is based on that, and that each brain cell searching for something to combine with finds another brain cell that contains similar information. And so those two join together, and then the mental process of thinking identifies what they have in common and they say such thing as the road was a ribbon because it, you know, it looked like a ribbon and that ribbon was made out of moonlight instead of gravel. So the comparison is everything that exists in our brain, according to me anyway, is looking for something that it has in common with. Sure. So um, when I talk about metaphor, I'm saying that everything is a metaphor because it wouldn't exist in our brain if it hadn't found something to compare itself with. 
So the comparison is at the root of metaphor. Right. But what I'm, I'm the, confusing you. No, not at all. I guess my follow-up question is, what was the moment when you decided, oh, wait, this is something that needs to be shared? I mean, you can have that realization to yourself, kept it to yourself no. and your family. Why did you decide to make it a book? Because my book sets out to change the way people function, the way people act, the way they behave. It, its major premise is that you can be responsible for your comparisons or your metaphors. Uh, you can uh, you can choose to think reflexively, or you can choose to think logic logically and responsibly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe that uh, we have the capacity to choose one of the three kinds of metaphors that I say exist. Okay. One is reflexive, that, and that's the first one. That's the generic metaphor. And uh, racism, for instance, is a reflexive metaphor. It, um, it, well, and I should have said, all metaphors based on survival. And survival is not just physical, but it was originally just physical. But as as we evolved, as as metaphor evolved, uh, it went to what I call halozoic metaphor. Mm -hmm. and that's a metaphor that we use to build things. Enge engineering is a is a halozoic metaphor. And then that metaphor evolved into what I call a synthetic metaphor. And that's the metaphor where the self-concept exists. Uh, and that's what my book is basically is about, is how to be responsible for the self-concept. And to be responsible means you have to be moral. You have to be responsible. You have to uh, think about what's good, not only for you, but for other people and for the world. Uh, synthetic metaphor is a dominant metaphor and it's evolving just like reflexive metaphor evolved. So that my book proposes that we can get better by the conscious use of reflexive metaphor, of synthetic metaphor. By choosing to reject a reflexive metaphor, because it's based on physical survival. And we can choose to reject that and go to a synthetic metaphor where we refuse to be racist, where we recognize that racism is destructive. It's only concerned with physical survival. Uh, I believe that we have to be concerned for psychological uh, survival. And that means that we have to be the best person we can be. And we can choose to be better. And we can choose to reject evil. And uh, so my, my purpose in writing the book was to promulgate my philosophy of metaphor. Mm -hmm. And that the way to change the world is to change our metaphors.
we can change our metaphors if we kindly choose to. The problem is reflexive metaphors are automatic. They don't require any logic or any serious thought. Um, it's easy to be angry. It's easy to hate. And it's hard to choose not to be angry. And it's hard to choose to be responsible in terms of your relationships with people and that sort of thing. Absolutely. You are also I, mentioned- I'm sorry. You, sorry, we're breaking up. Go there. ahead. Uh, you had mentioned in your book, or when you're talking about survival, that metaphor, quote, is the root of all creation. Uh, I was wondering if you can go more into detail about that. Yeah, well, uh, objects exist singly uh, by themselves in the physical world, but there's an ingrained, inborn need to create. And so this inborn need, survival drive is what I call it, looks for connections, looks for similarities. And uh, it finds a similarity and it makes it a metaphor that when it when the similarity so combined then the object becomes to combine that thought with a similar thought and as you continue to process the similarities that your mind finds automatically reflexively as soon as you start combining things, they get more and more complex. And that's when they're synthetic. So when, uh, when you can actually go through the catalog of the brain and select the ideas that you want to combine so that you can develop the premise. So, so the metaphor that is a premise can grow get more complex and and more effective. Mm. And as you go through the process of cataloging, you eliminate those things that don't that don't please, that are, are reflexive, for instance. Or halozoic uh, is primarily an engineering metaphor. But um, if I'm repairing a bicycle, I go through and analyze all the ingredients, all of the mechanical things, and look for the flaw. And then when I find it, then my next step is to how can I correct it? And um, that process is well, I remember when I first came up with the concept of metaphor, it was in my senior year in college. I was in the science lab reading an article called Continuous Creation by a physicist named Fred Hoyle. And it occurred to me that day that, hey, metaphors in science can also be applied to literature and to philosophy and to thoughts. And so that's where the concept of metaphor started. 
from an article by Fred Hoyle, who later on discarded the idea, hmm. what it was that it proposed that the way planets were made, what they would find particles of dust. And if there was a similarity, they would combine. And then they'd go on and make, collect other particles. And eventually over centuries, eons evolve into a planet or a moon or a satellite or whatever. And so I said that same concept can be applied to the process of human thought. And that's been going on for 50 years now. Uh, I've been working on the concept of metaphor. Sure, sure, sure. But that just uh, begs the question that, I mean, the, the 50 years you spent dedicating your life to the evolution of, of your perspective on metaphor, how was it refined? How has it changed? How has it evolved in itself throughout the course of those years? Oh, enormously. Uh, the, uh, I have developed a philosophy of life based on my concept of metaphor. And I practice it, I live it. Uh, and I'm 91 years old. And I think uh, my philosophy has, sorry about it. Uh, my philosophy of life has enhanced my longevity. And I believe it can do the same thing for, for anybody that's willing to work at it. Not that they'd have to work as hard as I have because I've done a lot of the work for them. But, um, can you just uh, give me a waking example? If I was listening right now, how can I get onto the philosophy as well? What's a metaphor that occurs every day that we probably haven't even noticed that exists? Uh, well, as I said, everything, in order for us to comprehend it, it has to reach that aha moment when comparison recognizes a similarity in another thing. Uh, for instance, uh, just before I came in here, I ate a handful of cashews, uh, which uh, I've always enjoyed, but a neighbor of mine gave me a handful of them the other day. And I, when I went to the store the next time, I bought a large container of cashews and that was a result of her exposing me to the cashews a, a, a week ago. Um, that was an instance of, she gave me cashews, I ate them, they tasted good, and I said, I want some for myself. And that's metaphor at work. Uh, in this case, they're clearly related to survival in the, their food. But um, I do the same thing with poetry. I will uh, mm -hmm. be walking along the road and I walk regularly. That's a part of my philosophy exercise. Uh, I uh, walk along the road and I think of something. And I say, hey, that's interesting. Let me think about it some more. 
And when I went to the lady's house, who gave me the cashews. I said, you got something I can write an idea down on? And she gave me a sheet of paper and I wrote down the idea. And when I got home, I wrote a poem based on it. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the way metaphor works. Uh, sure. Because I'm primed to write poetry. That's what I do. And so I'm getting metaphors all the time. And I recognize when they have poetic value and I recognize when they don't. Uh, but, you know, I've been writing poetry for, well, since I was nine years old. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> that is quite a while, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's considering. Uh, but uh, did that, that help at all? Yo, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm just learning more about how how not say deep it goes, but how we are entwined uh, with that philosophy. Because that what really drew me to the book was the title. It's like a proposed path to independent living. I was trying to determine the jump between understanding metaphor and what that means for independent living. And so, if you can give me a little more insight on that, that'd be great. Yeah, they are. Uh, I, I mentioned the self concept being a metaphor. Uh, earlier, uh, the the re responsible metaphor is also a self-sufficient metaphor, and uh, it uh, as we do those things and as we write those things. In my case, that enhance my ego, my self-concept. Uh, I gain strength. I, I become freer. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, locked up into tradition. I'm not locked up into religion, religion, for instance. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis in the, the book on the negative effects of religion. And one of the bad things about religion is that it's almost exclusively based on reflexive metaphors. Um, mm. In other words, um, going to heaven is surviving. And all metaphors are based on survival. But there's also a self-concept that needs to survive. And we help it survive by being responsible, by thinking those thoughts and doing those things that contribute to the good of the world rather than to the, to the, well, I don't want to say anything negative about conservative politics, but conservative politics are almost always reflexive. They're almost always based on survival of, of the physical body and without people's awareness of it, also survival of their self-concepts, the synthetic survival. Uh, synthetic survival is, is, for me, the highest evolved metaphor, is um, being responsible for the development of the self-concept is what I think has contributed to my longevity because, you know, being a responsible metaphorist. I can't be a racist, for instance. 
I can't uh, take an easy escape like um, the idea of being good, you go to heaven. I, th I think, uh, I don't believe in heaven, for instance, but I believe that uh, the aim of my philosophy is for us to learn to to survive synthetically, to positively create. And uh, poetry is a form of creation. Uh, they, um, this interview is a form of creation. Uh, and it's all metaphor, of course. Uh, sure. 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 Uh, it's a part of our use of metaphor. Sorry, Metamorphosis, the, pro the proposed path to independent living, uh, available now uh, wherever you get your fine books. Uh, Mr. Roberts, I appreciate the time you spent today in the Ram Sam Radio to discuss the book, but one more question before we get out of here. Who do you think would benefit most from checking out your book? Well, I think uh, the, the book is hard. It's not easy reading. And I think that people who ought to read it are the ones that are least likely to read it. But it's written, I've taught in college for 17 years. And so it, it's written for my students. And a lot of my students still contact me, still stay in touch with me because they, they respect the fact that I was concerned for their spiritual being, not their physical being. Uh, I think uh, I think the world will profit from the book, but I think they need a teacher to explain it to them. But uh, I have a former student who has read it 30 times and it's made a difference in his life. And so proud of how far he's come and uh, I credit the book and he does too uh, he, it says the book has uh, liberated him has made oh, wow. him freer and, uh, fantastic I think that's true well, that is great. I hope uh, people who listen to this podcast today check out the book as well so they too can be on their path of understanding the different kinds of metaphor. Thanks again for being on New Am Sam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W-Amsterdam.com Until next time, this city is yours.